0: I woke up in the bed the next morning and my wife was there, my two sons were there, and they were sort of cuddling up to me and said, you know, today is Wednesday. On Friday, we have admitted you to a rehabilitation clinic. Um, You have no choice. Uh, You will go there Uh, unless, unless if you don't go, we will go. We will go and you will never see us again.
1: Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast Here at Tribe Sober, we enable people to change their relationship with alcohol and then go on to thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last five years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created a tribe because we believe it's really, really hard to change your drinking alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. Each week, we feature a community voice Just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe, here's a lady from one of our WhatsApp groups. Having a sober tribe has helped me understand that,
0: you know, there are so many people who have kicked the drinking habit out there who are part of the tribe and they share their stories. And every now and again, they remind us where they came from. And when you join the tribe, you realize that they came, they started right where you are where you couldn't put the bottle down, and one day they did. And when they're sitting there telling you they've got 200 days, 400 days, however many days, even 40 days is quite a feat. It is so encouraging, and that's what has kept me going. So thank you to the tribe. I am so grateful to have let the drink go.
2: So if you want to join our community and get a bit of support, just go to tribesober.com and click on Join Our Tribe. Now this week, my guest is Dr. Stefan Neff a German doctor who lives in New Zealand. He's an anaesthetist, a best-selling author, a speaker, a show host, and an alcoholic in recovery. He uses his books and his social media to emphasise that there is indeed a life after alcohol, and he's a true example of the fact that the past does not have to equal the future. So let's have a listen to his inspirational story.
0: I am a German and lived around the world and now settled down with my beautiful family here in the even more beautiful New Zealand. Well, how did it start? Well, I come from Germany and I was born 66. So therefore, the 80s, that was sort of my my forming years. And if you look back at the films that we watched in the 80s, there was Lethal Weapon, there was Mad Max, there was all these kind of things um you if you look at the heroes there they were all down and out and lethal weapons starts with this famous scene where Mel gibson gets up in the trailer naked has a piss whilst he has got a cigarette and a beer in his hand that's his breakfast you know these were the heroes or anti-heroes shall i say um equally i mean in germany everyone drinks and there is actually quite a healthy drinking culture uh, one has to say there is not the kind of mad drinking that is occurring in the uk where there is sort of time limits sorry ten thirty, the bar is closed so you need to get in as much as you possibly can no you can have beer wine whatever you wish 24 7 in germany so there was a nice culture there and i got into that nice culture when I was sort of in my first or second year in university um, prior to that I was very very fanatic in in sport and martial arts and but then I discovered bars and I discovered girls and suddenly the darkness from from my teenager years was sort of more well you know I had a very 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 great university time and then a bit like you later down well life happened And life had a lot of lemons for me. Uh, Things were not so smooth. Lots of stresses, often self-inflicted stress. uh, The expectation that you are absolutely perfect as a doctor. The you know striving for the best, trying to do your best, and yeah, well, you know, you're setting yourself up to fail. And you know, there's only so much shit you can take until you start um using things that make you feel good to to let you forget the misery that is around you so you basically you're dealing with the trauma by trying to drown it and that was exactly what happened to me
2: yeah and what what kind of age were you when you realized there was a a bit of a problem here and you were going to do something about it
0: (laughs) um realizing the problem god mid-30s did i want to know about it no um deep inside you know but you do what every uh high functioning alcoholic does you surround yourself with other alcoholics so therefore it becomes a very normal lifestyle you make jokes about it you you know it's it's wine o'clock um you know how do you uh, call a, um, a, a a meal without wine breakfast uh, and things like that you know you, you you normalize alcohol in your life and you I always considered myself a, a, a good host so it was normal for me to have a a table to bursting when guests were there but that also included alcohol and so yeah it was it was all that Did I know that I was in trouble? Uh, I guess I sensed it. But ultimately, numbing the pain was far more important. Because after all, alcohol does serve a purpose for you there. It's not a greatest coping mechanism, but at least for a little bit, it holds you. And that was the same for me.
2: Yeah, it gives you a temporary respite, doesn't it? I I always had this voice in my head going, you know, you've got to do something about your drinking. But then I'd have this other voice saying, but what about your friends? How are you going to socialize? How will you relax? So I had a constant struggle going on. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was your wife that gently uh, pushed you into rehab, wasn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) My wife, first of all, was drinking like a fish as well. Um, We we were both very insecure. We were both uh, type A personalities and both aiming to do the best in our kind of weird understanding and visions and, and motivations, etc. Um, uh, very weird with hindsight. We were just as broken as everyone else out there. but and, and we basically used alcohol to relax, alcohol to have a good time. And we were both drinking very heavily. Um, and then at one stage, my wife, um, she... Stopped drinking. Um, She uh, found Jesus. Um, She, and with the help of her church and and with white knuckling it, um, she actually stopped. The next three years or thereabouts, uh, there were quite a few rows where she wanted to convince me because she loved me. And she said, no, come on, I've stopped. Come on, you can do that too. And of course, you make promises, and you say, "No, no, 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 this, I'm not drinking, I'm not drinking." But you smell a bit funny. Oh no, no, it's ginger ale. That's 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 you know ginger beer that I'm drinking there. Ha! Huh, I could swear it smells like vodka. And I was spiraling down and down and down. I was still sort of high functioning, and uh, but uh, you know, it is the pain got too much. There was not enough alcohol in the whole of Rotorua to numb my pain. And it, and, and yeah, enough was enough. And one night, my wife uh, got in touch with my boss in the hospital and dragged him around. And there I was sitting in the, in the garage, drunk like a skunk, sobbing my, my eyes out, snot and everything because of all the, the trauma and the, the, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the, the frustration. That was deep inside that however much vodka i consumed it was no longer going away and that was the tuesday night that essentially was the start of the rest of my life because i went to bed i think <laughs> i woke up in the bed the next morning and my wife was there my two sons were there and they were sort of cuddling up to me and said you know today's wednesday on Friday we have admitted you to a rehabilitation clinic Um, you have no choice Uh, you will go there Uh, unless unless if you don't go we will go we will go and you will never see us again and hungover as I was I was glad and I accepted the help because It was, I felt helpless and I felt hopeless at that time. And I knew I couldn't continue like that. So that was the
1: start of my new life. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
2: So a big feeling of relief, really, once it got to that stage.
1: Oh, yes. But
0: I mean, imagine the shame. Imagine the, the all the, the same kind of negative emotions because, oh, what will happen to my patients? I had run a large pain clinic at the time. There were so many, so many things where with hindsight, where it turned out that I was always looking out for others, always being there for others. Everyone else came first and then came my family and then came me. And it was just nuts. So, with hindsight, my priorities were very skewed and, and it was weird. So, it is, I needed that stop. This taking me out of my life and putting me into this bubble of rehabilitation for four weeks. And that was the best thing that could have ever, ever, ever happened in my life.
2: Wonderful. So, so what was good about rehab that particularly changed everything for you?
0: Well, the only thing that changes in rehab is everything. So, where to start? To start off with, um, I was treated with the utmost respect. It was a lovely, lovely environment. And it was, I had a medical examination. The woman knew what she was talking about. Um, she made a plan for me if, with regards to detox so that I don't get in a delirium. And I looked at her and said, Come on, don't be silly, girl. Um, and uh, and yeah, it turns out, though, I never went into into anything nasty, but my blood pressure shot through the roof. And that's a typical, typical one aspect of, of withdrawal. That rehab where I was, it was called Capri Hospital here in New Zealand, and it was a top-notch facility. Every single person in rehab there who helped me was an ex-druggie or an ex-alcoholic. So all of them were in the same shoes that I was right now. They had been there and they got their shit sorted and got got themselves straight. So that was, wow, that was an, a, quite a realization from the nurses to the yoga teacher to the case managers to everyone bar the, the, the treating doctors. They were no addicts, uh, but otherwise. And that was beautiful to see. There were these people who had their shit together. Hmm. And I thought, huh. That was that was interesting. The other thing is they took me serious. They listened to me. And there was there had been a lot of bullying. There had been a lot of negative things happening as part of my work. So I and I was as a doctor I was forbidden to talk about that. You are forbidden to talk negative about the hospital in which you work, about the contracts that you have got, etc. So, here I was in this very private place and I suddenly could talk the truth. I could suddenly speak out. And it was like, what a release, my God! And there I, oh, I didn't, I was sang. I sang like a canary, honestly. <laughs> and it was the most beautiful thing. I had all this resentment and all this anger. And one day after about a week, my case manager said, okay, can you write a letter to this institution that gave you all this grief and write it all down, put it all into this letter. I want to know it all. And boy, did I go to town. I wrote this letter and and it was pages and pages and pages. I wrote into the night and the next day I had a meeting and I was all ready to talk about it and said, yeah, come on. And she took that paper and looked at it and then folded it up and put it to the side and said, "Okay, now let's talk about you. And I said, but, 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 but here, let's talk about what they did to me. And she said, no, 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 let's talk about you. And I got quite pissed off with her. (laughs) But that was the start where actually we started dealing with resentment, anger. Um, She gave me a beautiful book to read about a woman whose estranged husband killed her children and her father in front of her eyes in the driveway. And I thought, what the... When I read this book, and it was about her rising above that trauma, Read, read that the first ten pages and I thought, Okay, you win. Um and it was the first time that I saw hang on, there are people who have gone actually through even more trauma than I and they got their shit together. And then I looked around and all the people around me seemed to have their ducks in a row. And I thought, okay And that was when I started realizing that I have a lot of work to do. And that was when I started taking my journey serious, because I sensed that there was a possibility to change myself on such a deep level that I could not even fathom at the time.
2: So, when you came out of rehab, how was that? I mean, I I haven't been to rehab. I often wonder, you know, you're there in your cocoon with all Mm -hmm. this fantastic connection going on, and then you come out into the real world. How does that work?
0: Oh, I expected rose petals and fanfares when I came home. Uh, after all, I had done all this work and I worked really, really hard on my on my sobriety and my recovery. And I came home and guess what? There was no fanfari because My wife and my children, well, they were getting on with school, they were getting on with their work. Um, My wife had not only the usual stress, but now she had the stress of $27,000 extra that the rehab cost. So it was all that. There I said, I've learned all that and etc. And there was zero response. Because in all fairness, how many times had I said, you know, X, Y, Z, I will stop drinking. Yeah, right. I mean, for Christ's sake, how do you know that an alcoholic is lying? His lips move. So, you know, it is fact. So, therefore, I, it, was, it felt quite upsetting. And then I thought, hmm, actually, I understand why that is happening. And I started doing living amends. Living amends refers to the fact that you shut up. You don't talk the talk. You walk the walk. You actually do things. I had forever had rows with my children, which are lazy, entitled little bastards. Um, And they still are to this day. They know that. And they are, full stop. But I was getting very, very, very upset about them. And why don't you clean up? Why don't you wash up? Well, when I came out of rehab, I started washing up. I started cleaning up. I thought well what do I do with my life and I always had this this saying there is not enough cheesecake in this world um, so I thought huh I don't know how to bake a proper German cheesecake so I learned how to bake proper German cheesecakes and being a doctor who writes papers I thought I write a book about German cheesecakes so I became a cookbook golfer um, and there, you are, there I was my kitchen was uh, I cooked the hell out of my kitchen That record was nine cheesecakes in my kitchen. It smelled divine. And my kids loved it, for crying out loud. And so suddenly I was the hero by, A, producing good cheesecake, B, actually cleaning up after myself. And my wife, the first time when she saw me washing up there, just naturally washing up, she just looked at me. Not that I never washed up, but it was always a bone of contention in my family. Mm -hmm. So I changed and
1: I showed that I changed. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com.
2: Yeah, I love that expression used, uh, living amends, because Mm. however many times we reassure our partners, friends, or whoever Mm. that we're we're going to well in my case i always said i will drink less because i couldn't imagine not drinking at all (laughs) but then uh, we kept doing it and failing and doing it and failing so in the end nobody believes as you say a word you say but living amends actually doing it that that's when people start start believing isn't it
0: exactly and that's quite important i mean i I wrote the book uh, uh, steps to sobriety and in there i i talk in detail about amends and what makes sense what doesn't make so much sense etc there are a lot of controversies around it but I think the best thing you can do is in essentially walk the walk you 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 earn respect by showing dignity by showing authenticity by looking after yourself and then looking after others and that is a beautiful thing when you start doing that people will notice that very very quickly and they think it's a little oh oh, let's see how that ends and then two weeks later you're still doing it and a month later you're still doing it and two months later you're still doing it and people suddenly say wow this guy has really turned his life around and that's powerful that's where you own where your own flame starts growing in you, where you're no longer shy and battered and beaten and and not sure if you can actually make it through the day, but you're actually gaining more confidence. You're gaining more mana, more power, more, you're getting there. And that is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful growth within you.
2: And how easy was it for you to walk the talk? Because you mentioned white knuckling that your mm. wife had been doing a bit mm. of that. Presumably, yeah. you weren't white knuckling. You, your whole mindset yeah. had had changed.
0: Indeed, right. And that is, um, I really did the work. I worked through the steps of the twelve the twelve step mm-hmm. program, and I went into, I went deep into it, and with that. I sort of peeled back one onion layer after the other, after the other, and revealed more trauma and more bad programming in my head and more negative emotions. So every at every turn of my path, I discovered new things about me, some good things, some bad things. I discovered what did not work and was able to jettison that, get rid of that. There were other things where I thought, huh that could actually work Um, so maybe some healthy nutrition and some rehydration and some regular exercise might actually be just nice maybe uh, involving yourself with with a hobby that does not include alcohol Hmm. maybe not associating yourself with those people who were your drinking partners might actually be quite a good idea So these were all sort of the lessons that I had learned in rehab. And then I I actually created these micro habits and, and just followed them through. I just used the principles that I started learning in rehab and kept going. Was that to say that I never had a relapse? A proper relapse, I never had. I'm happy to say that. A lapse, I had. A lapse means that you drink a night, and then the next day you think you stupid idiot, and uh, typically your wife finds out and etc. That's a lapse. A relapse is that you fall back into your old behavior. You start hiding. You you basically become the same idiot that you were beforehand. So that's a I draw the line in between there. So I certainly had a lapse, and. My wife the next day, was absolutely beautiful about it. instead of ripping into me, she said okay let's let's learn from that. what went wrong what happened talk talk to me about it and we went through it, and essentially for me, HALT is the biggest thing. HALT, H-A-L-T, so hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Uh, if I have two out of them, I get a fleeting idea about alcohol. If I've got three out of them, uh, then oh, I could do with a drink, and four out of them, oh, for Christ's sake, give me that bottle. So that's hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and that was one of the earliest things I've learned about myself and therefore I learned not to be hungry, angry, lonely, tired or try to minimize at least the impact of some idiot because there are enough idiots out there. They will be angry for crying out loud. No one in New Zealand can drive. If there's one thing that is bad in this country, it's the drivers. Okay? Indicator? What's that? And out of principle, you stop first before you indicate, okay? That's, you know, that's kind of shit. So, um, okay, talk about anger and resentment. Uh, So, but bottom line is you can't do anything, well, you can't do anything about their actions. But you can do something about how you respond to that. And that was so, so beautiful. Take my wife. My wife is a a gorgeous human being but that little filter between her brain and the mouth that's off not not really working so well and she has got that foot in mouth disease where sometimes things come out that are maybe not so great Um, so in the past she would have said something I would have said something she would have said something and then there was the third world war okay very quickly bang 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 nowadays it's virtually impossible for us to row it's virtually impossible for us to fight because typically we have looked after ourselves typically if she suddenly says i say oh you're okay darling do you want to talk or do you just want me to leave the room for a moment and you 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 know sort yourself out and Um, because either she had not drunken or she had not not uh eaten anything for breakfast and it was now lunchtime she was um hangry um things like that and we recognize it and we talk about it so therefore instead of it getting out of control no no It's rare, it's extremely rare, and that is beautiful. these kind of things. So that all changed. But it changed because I had started the change in myself, and then I introduced my family to these kind of things. And that was a bit weird because, uh, early on, my wife is a nurse, and and when I then sort of said something, don't you psychologize me uh, these were sort of the responses there and, and she she recognized what was going on that i tried to de-escalate something etc and she was really uh, pissed off about it in the in the beginning so again when you come out of rehab you might have the best intentions and ah, that does not mean to say that it will actually go all smooth
2: yeah yeah well, thank you that's some great advice there Um, I love what you said about the difference between lapse and relapse because people in our community, you know, occasionally they'll have a lapse, you know, one night when everything goes horribly wrong. And then the next day, you know, they're back on our group going, oh my God, I feel terrible. I've ruined everything. And we've managed to kind of train people to get back on the bus, as we say, just get back on the bus. But now, you know, I'm going to say you didn't have a relapse, you had a lapse. Mm, That's
0: (laughs) right. So I don't, I think, there is a reason that you were drinking or using, and you need to figure out that reason. What actually went wrong? Again, in in steps of sobriety, I, I go in details actually with regards to how does a relapse occur. So you've got this emotional relapse, which often starts weeks and months before you actually drink, where you have stopped looking after yourself. You don't do the mindfulness. You do. You just get caught in a rat race and then you start slipping in in the little habits that were good for you and then very soon you come sort of to to the next step stage of relapse where you actually uh, where the little devil in you is already planning oh my wife is away on that weekend hmm maybe I can you know that kind of shit and then finally it comes to the physical relapse when you when you start using but it is the, 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 you not looking after yourself, you neglecting yourself, you stop loving yourself. That is when the relapse starts to build up.
2: Yeah, we, it's a work in progress, isn't it? We've got to carry on doing the work. You know, Absolutely. We, we say to people, it's this thing, it's in two steps. You know, first of all, you have to ditch the drink. And then you have to learn how to thrive in your alcohol-free life because exactly. there's a lot to learn there. But so true. It's a, an exciting journey. Um, I wanted to ask you, how many lapses then did you have before you got completely alcohol free?
1: You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
0: What I can remember is one, and and I can remember it so beautifully because the next day my wife was there for me, and I had not expected it. I had expected a major row, and I've expected to to whip myself. And she was very calm and said, yeah, "Let's figure out what went wrong." And what a beautiful approach that was! Yeah, it was that's very, it com-
2: very clever of her.
0: Oh no, she was. She did exactly the the one thing that made it easy for me to jump over my shadow and let she think, "Okay, what did I do wrong?" and Ah, okay and then later on I I put these things into practice and and it's the cravings they were initially quite quite strong and then they get better and better over the years but about ah oh, 13 14 months ago I had quite not such a nice um, nice time and there I was one evening I was... Actually, I could have murdered a bottle of wine, and I had already started my my um, my YouTube show, Steps to Sobriety. And so, at that time, I said, "No, fuck it!" So I took my camera, set it up next to, to the little pool that I've got, jumped in the pool, and did a recording there in the pool, uh, and saying, "Okay, guys, right now I could murder a, a bottle of wine, uh, or tw- or two, or three. I wouldn't stop at one." and So And I actually talked about it. And I talked what happened to me, the hold, all that, and how it hit me. And I described how I was surfing this wave. And that is, I think, the best thing that that I can teach people is to recognize that these negative emotions will come. Anxiety attacks will come. In this case, this craving, this, oh, I want that drink. Because it would have been so nice. I would have, I would have felt my shoulders releasing the tension. I would have felt this warmth going down my esophagus. Oh, it would have been beautiful. I could have felt it there, and I could. My body needed that. Instead, I had to water, and I actually looked at the sunset, and etc. And I waited, and twenty minutes later, that craving was gone, like a wave in the ocean. So if you're in the ocean and this wave is coming, well, you can be angry about this wave or you can shout at this wave. Well, this wave is still coming and it doesn't give a damn about your faults. So therefore, you can either get drowned by that wave or you can surf that wave or swim that wave, whatever you want to do. And so therefore, I see that very much nowadays as, oh, hello. There is this not so nice emotion like anxiety. And I actually want to curl up in a, in a fetal position and, and tell the world to go away. Um, then I, when I'm at work, I would go to the toilet, sit down, have a, a breathing exercise, realize that my heart is pounding and realize, OK, this is, yep, cool. And then I would say, thank you very much, body. What did you really try to tell me? why did you send me that anxiety attack which really is a message obviously you want to tell me something and what is it oh i burned the candle again because i worked 20 days straight and i had 16 hour days and you think it's a bit much okay i must admit that you know so i see these kind of things as messages from my body or from my soul or from both So if there are negative emotions, if there are, if I wake up at four o'clock with some weird nightmare, I think, okay, what do you want to tell me? Because that's really what it is. I'm not getting upset that I'm waking up at four o'clock. I just say, whoa, this was a weird dream. So what the heck is going on here? And that reminds me that maybe I need to do a little bit more work, that I actually need to work on the programming Uh, of my subconscious and that is something that will never ever stop
2: yeah 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 that's brilliant it sounds like you're getting curious and i think Mm. that's so important for us not to not to get stressed just get curious what's going on here exactly right yeah and, um, yeah, the wave analogy is a good one. Mm. And, yeah, we we say we've got to learn somehow because, you know, we've always been numbing ourselves. We've got to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm. you know, just like the craving because it passes. It's not going to be there forever. Oh. So it's it's there's so much work to be done, but it's <laughs> it's well worth it. And what did I, I read once that our emotional maturity stalls at the age that we start drinking heavily. So I thought, exactly. oh, my goodness, I've been 18 for most of my life. <laughs>
0: Indeed. Same here. Same here.
2: <laughs> and now we got to grow up super quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the problem is you come straight from puberty into menopause. And that's yeah, yeah. bullshit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's true. There's no respite. In I know. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, I heard on on an interview, I heard you talking about super responders Mm. and I've heard that before, that some people, when they have their first drink, you know, as teenagers, it's such a buzz, you know, and they just love it so much. And I certainly felt like that. I thought, oh, my God, I found the answer. You know, Mm. it seemed like a magic potion. And uh, is there any kind of medical science behind that? Do some of us get more dopamine or whatever? Absolutely, interesting. And that is
0: yeah. the 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 genetic predisposition um, that some of us have, and we are just you know, if you press the right buttons with the right chemicals, this dopamine goes through the roof, and it's the feel good hormone, and it's so beautiful, oh, and that is that is just that beautiful buzz that you get out of something and you can get that from from alcohol from drugs from sugar from sex from gambling uh, all these kind of things they they increase your dopamine levels to to heights that are just amazing now it is unfortunately it's very unfortunate that we have this response and that there are such powerful stimuli out there like the, the chemicals the alcohol etc because ultimately you can get the same thing from a human touch with the person you love or eating that beautiful dinner if you were actually just to to sit down take the time and taste that food that you take the time to watch that sunset, that you take the time to smell your, your children. Those things, when you take the time, that can give you a beautiful dopamine rush. And we know yeah. that, we know that as in, in when you think about men who are all macho, etc., when they have got little babies on their arm and they smell their children, that immediately causes a complete turn down of aggression in in most people so therefore there are very powerful mechanisms at work that naturally are there to to regulate the way we we are and we deserve in our life we deserve pleasure the sad thing is if there is something that triggers such a pleasure response that everything else pales in comparison ah, that's the really crappy thing Because what goes with the pleasure is immediately the memory of that bus. And that's the problem. Because here we are, we get this huge dopamine wave. And you think, wow. And the next thing is a huge glutamate wave. And that glutamate wave is going straight to the memory center. Because the body says, wow, this was so cool. Please remember what that was. We want that again. So... Therefore, even when you are way down the line many years again, suddenly there will be this deep, deep down memory coming up because that was laid down the very first time you had this dopamine rush. And that is, yeah, that is that. And there's, that's that's we know that from from alcohol, from drugs. But it's the same when you look at special forces people who are living in complete adrenaline-soaked environments, mm. and then they leave their special forces world and try to go into civilian life, and they don't know what to do. Everything is as blunt. I mean, eat chilies every single day, and then have meat and two veggies, and. You know, your body says, you're kidding me. What the hell? Yeah. So it's the same thing there. So people struggle when suddenly they don't get this dopamine hit, when they don't get this adrenaline hit, all these cool things that we have unfortunately abused our body with.
1: Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's Janet, J A N E T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation.
2: Yeah. I mean, my first year of sobriety, and, and a lot of people in our community went through this as well, I was fine for the first few months, I was in my pink cloud, mm. <laughs> and then I just plummeted, and I felt so miserable and flat, mm. and yeah. I thought, oh, I've made a terrible mistake here, you know, I can't, I can't do this, but I kept going, kept going, and eventually it, it got better, but I think, you know, our natural dopamine doesn't come back for quite oh. a long time, oh, absolutely. Our Mm. bodies get lazy, don't we? Don't they? We're always getting ourselves high chemically. It thinks, oh, well, she's all right. She's got her Mm. drugs, so we'll just carry on sleeping.
0: That's exactly it.
2: Yeah, the real tragedy, I think, is that us, you know, alcoholics, when when we're in it, we just lose interest in everyday pleasures, you know? Absolutely. And it, it takes, it took me at least a year to start really enjoying, you know, the small things of life that, that we should enjoy. You and absolutely that's what makes sobriety so wonderful, because oh. we're just rediscovering all that.
0: In a beautiful way, isn't it? I, uh, several months down the line, I had this strawberry. And I suddenly <laughs> thought, this strawberry it's the best strawberry I've ever had in my life. This tastes so authentic. Oh, wow. What strawberry is that? And it was just that my dopamine was starting to come back. My natural response to the little pleasures around us had started coming back. And that was, with hindsight, one of the most bizarre things. At that time, I thought that alcohol has affected my taste and that now my taste is coming back. But with hindsight, I rather think that my taste was there all the time, but the importance that my mind and my soul has put onto that sensation that was coming in, was completely numb. There was zero response. And it was then, that was the first time, the first inkling, the first wave of something nice happening.
2: Yeah. So that's one fabulous uh, benefit, isn't it, of sobriety. We start uh, discovering everyday pleasures again. Uh, give me some more benefits to encourage people that are listening
0: to this. <laughs> Can think...
2: we convince them it's worth doing? Because let's face it, it's not an easy thing to do, is it?
0: And that's, that's the major crooks. If you look at people who drink too much, 95% of them will try to convince you that there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. So, therefore, these people, you can you can do whatever you want to tell them they, no, nah. and they will either not listen to you, or if they can't listen to you any longer, they will get angry with you. And ultimately, that's the cage questions. Have you tried to cut down? Are you angry when people talk about you? Do you feel guilty that... You're drinking too much. And lastly, the eye-opener. Do you from now and then have a glass of wine or, or whatever in the morning so that you feel better after the night before? C-A-G-E. C-A-G-E.
2: Mm, and All warning signs, really, aren't they?
0: Well, exactly. Exactly right.
2: Talk to us about your book, Stefan. Why did you write it and how did <laughs> it work? Where do we get it? Tell us Thank everything. You.
0: Um it will be released now in May uh, as Steps to Sobriety. It's a mixture of a bit of a, of a memoir in the sense of the lessons that I've learned, my steps to sobriety, but I'm basically going through alcohol, what it sort of does to you, and then I'm going through the 12 steps. I have translated them into a modern language So we are talking just the language that we are using now, not uh, God gave us something or we have to please God in order to do so. As it was written in the 1930s, the original 12 steps. So my, my 12 steps are very secular. But, you know, that is only 12 steps. So that's how you get sober. But then comes life and life has challenges so hell these challenges they can hit you and they will hit you that's a fact you will have anxiety attacks you will have trouble with money relationship problems toxic people you name it it will happen to you you know that will happen just as much as you know it will rain so therefore if you know it will rain well you might want to take an umbrella or a jacket or maybe even both so you've got a plan when it rains yet You know your mood will one day be low. But you don't do anything about it. You just walk into that and then you've got low mood. Wouldn't it make sense that you learn a little bit about low mood? Because it's a one in free chance that it hits you. Or that you learn about finances. Or that you learn how to take criticism. Or, 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 or. So I've got 20, 25 challenges in there of things that will hit you. Where I'm going through the reality of these things and then say well okay how do you actually deal with that how do you deal with criticism and there are action plans what about depression action plans postnatal depression um anxiety without ptsd trauma all these kind of things so i explain these things in, in in terms that hopefully are easy to understand and then i give action plans with which you can start working and it's that kind of thing. So you've got you've got this kind of okay. This is where you have been the alcohol. This is how you get to the start of your new life, and then this is how you safeguard your new life, knowing that challenges will occur.
2: That sounds brilliant, Stefan. <laughs> I think that'll help a lot of people because there's so many kind of drinking memoirs around, mm. aren't there? And they're all quite riveting but I mean they don't really give any guidance and I love what you've done with the 12 steps I mean they are nearly 100 years old they need a bit of modernization
0: hell yes (laughs) hell yes and it is they're good they worked for me I have learned to accept myself for what I am and that's a very powerful place to be and invite you all to do the same the only reason that you're drinking is because you you want to forget reality. What was to happen if you start creating a reality that is all you ever dreamed of and more? What was to happen then? Would you really still try to use? No, you won't. I,
1: I guarantee you that. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober.
2: So there you heard me talking to Stefan Neff. Let's pick out a few highlights from that conversation. Stefan had a very positive experience in rehab. Most of the staff there had been addicts themselves, so not only did they understand him well, but they were fantastic role models. And it was in rehab that he began to sense the real possibility of making a change. But when he came out of rehab, Stefan felt that nobody really wanted to listen to his experiences. And that's when it occurred to him that it was actually time to walk the talk. And rather than shouting at his kids to tidy up, he started doing the chores himself. He started cooking. I think it was cheesecake. And the kids loved it, and that brought them all closer together. So he realised that he had to be consistent, and he had to start looking after others rather than himself. He was transitioning from a state of feeling beaten to a state of feeling stronger. Stefan introduces us to a powerful analogy to deal with cravings. He says, treat them as a wave. Imagine being a surfer. You've got a big wave coming towards you. You've got a choice. You either surf that wave or you let it drown you. He believes that some of us have a genetic disposition to alcohol. We actually get a bigger buzz from it. So maybe that's why only 20% of us actually get hooked on booze rather than 100% because it is an addictive drug after all. And that stronger buzz that some of us get is all down to the dopamine, our dopamine receptors and how they're behaving. And that led us on to talking about anhedonia, which is a word that describes that flatness that some of us feel in early sobriety. I talk about this at length in episode 44 of the Tribe Sober podcast. It's called My Six Years of Sobriety. And we went on to talk about the fact that this anhedonia means that we lose the ability to take pleasure in small things, and that one of the many joys of sobriety is to re-experience those everyday pleasures. And Stefan gave us a great example of experiencing an everyday pleasure. He talked about a strawberry and how the taste of that strawberry was sublime, something he never would have relished when he was drinking. He took us through the CAGE questionnaire, which is a way to diagnose whether your drinking is becoming problematic. There's a question relating to each of the letters in CAGE. First question, C. Have you ever cut down... Second question, A, do you ever get angry when you're challenged? Third question is G, do you ever feel guilty about your drinking? And the fourth question is E, have you ever had an eye-opener? That's a drink in the morning to make you feel better. So obviously the higher your score is out of those four questions, then the more problematic your drinking is becoming. Stefan distinguishes nicely between a lapse and a relapse. A lapse is a slip-up, whereas a relapse is about going completely off track, more like a week-long binge. At Tribe Sober, we encourage our members to use an annual tracker. That means they can mark their alcohol-free days and keep an eye on it visually. They can keep an eye on the big picture. And this means that if they do have a lapse, then they're far more likely to get straight back on track the next day, rather than continue on until it becomes a full-blown relapse. If you'd like one of our trackers, then just drop me a line at dot It's definitely explained that the reason behind a lapse or a relapse is usually that we've stopped looking after ourselves, and that's when it starts building up. And after a lapse, we should always get curious about why it happened. We should learn from it rather than beating ourselves up about it. Stefan has written a book called Steps to Sobriety, and his podcast is called Into the Light. He also has a YouTube channel, so do follow him and get more inspiration. One of the things that he loved about rehab was that he felt that people were truly listening to him and that he could be absolutely open and honest about his drinking. Now, this is indeed very powerful. If you feel you need someone to listen to you, then just go to tribesober.com and hit recovery coaching. Tribe Sober members get a complimentary coaching session, as we really want people to experience the power of coaching and how it can bring about deep and lasting change. In the interview, you heard that Stefan hit rock bottom and his family had to intervene and get him into rehab. I just wanted to say at this point that remember that you don't have to hit rock bottom to make a change. The worst thing you can do is sit around thinking, oh, well, I'm okay with my drinking. I haven't hit rock bottom yet. In fact, if your drinking is on your mind, then you should reach out. Just identify yourself as sober curious and learn more about alcohol and what it does to your mental and physical health. And I can guarantee you that the more you learn about this addictive substance, the less you're going to feel like putting it in your body. Joining Tribe Sober is a great start to your sober curious journey. We put our new members on an alcohol free challenge for a month with community and online supports. So if you can get through a month without alcohol, then you obviously don't have a problem. But if you can't, or if you can't even contemplate the idea of it, then you obviously need to make some changes, and we can help you with that. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Once you've discovered our warm and welcoming community and got started on your sober curious journey, you'll wonder why on earth you waited so long. So that's it from me. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. See you next week.
1: Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard. It takes courage and grit and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.